for authors, artists, writers, copywriters. Bevy's Cottage Formatting and Design is here to help you polish and beautify your book or script and develop a clean professional product ready for print on demand or ebook. Services include book interior formatting, cover wrap design and formatting, copy editing, proofreading, and graphic design. From event posters, banners, book event signage, ebook formatting, even illustration, to back cover blurbs, maps, and chapter header art. I can help you turn your art into a quality package primed for publication, print, and even broadcast. The full list of services and pricing are available on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Feffy's Cottage FD. F-E-F-F-I-E-S Cottage FD. Don't let your good works get dragged down by simple grammatical or visual issues. Come and check out my page today. This is A Better Utopia, an audiobook podcast written and produced by Counter Culture Rebellion, read by the author. Dedication. Chapter 20 is dedicated to my wife, Tara. Yeah, I know, I already dedicated the first chapter to her. However, I wanted to dedicate another chapter to her to just say thank you. Last few months have been real hard, lots of life-changing events coming our way, and I just want her to know I appreciate the fact that she's always there. And the fact that she's there on my side and on my team means so much to me. I love you. A quick note. This episode was not live-streamed. Unfortunately, I had some schedule conflicts coming up, for Monday, so I'm actually recording this Sunday. Um, we will continue to do live streaming the episode, so I hope you tune in next time. However, this one is pre recorded. Last time on A Better Utopia, Yulium falls into yet another past wartime memory that leaves him scarred, all while joined by Balaam. Finnegan relives the events of the killing of Agent Miller. It had been very frustrating, reliving yet again the beginning of this memory. Not once, but we had to do it a third time because I still had not kept close enough to my past self. Not that it was hard to keep up, but I really didn't want to hear him or what he had to say. It was too painful and all the emotions threatened to burst out right in front of my enemy, who is now my companion in this mess, Balaam, who had also very annoyed that we had to start over yet twice and made sure to chastise me any time I seemed too far away from my past self. My past self and PFC Wilson were almost to the wagon, and I tried my best to distance myself from their conversation, especially the part, but I still had to hear it, and I still had to remain close. Words cut through me like a hot knife driven into butter. Uh, Could we talk after we're done here, Sergeant Dunn? Wilson looked up, 
at the past me with eyes on the verge of tears as he stuffed the letter back into his pocket that he had been holding. Oh yeah, no, no problem, man. My past self looked taken back at first, but gave Wilson a soft smile. The wagon that had been stopped was full of metal barrels with a strange label on them. At the time of this memory, I didn't really give much thought to them, but for some reason now, as I watched myself in third person, the barrels seemed odd and, well, quite familiar. The man who stood by the two other soldiers that I knew as Corporal Steves and PFC Henrys frantically waved his arms and spoke in frantic tones. For the last time, I don't speak Ruski. Talk to him, Corporal Stevens pointed at Morris. The man whose face was now more red than the beard he wore looked at Morris. His tone was still frantic and began yelling and waving his arms. Wilson's face lost its somber look and donned now a confusion as he spoke, the Russian words coming out and flowing as if it was his first language. Wilson, what is he saying? My past self looked over at Wilson. I remembered this. I remembered the gut feeling like something was wrong, almost like I knew at the time that something was coming. He says that he's being chased by a witch. Wilson looked bewildered. Okay, my past self's face contorted in confusion. Who is he and what business does he have with the ports? Again, the Russian flowed out of Wilson's mouth as if he had been speaking it from birth. The red-faced man reached into his jacket, which caused all of us to jump and raise our rifles. The man instantly calmed down, put his hands up so we could see them, then slowly and carefully pulled out a bundle of papers from his jacket. He handed them to Wilson with a shaking hand. Wilson unfolded the papers, his eyes scanned the document over. He's on UPC business. These barrels are going to be shipped back home. What's in the barrels? I asked as my eyes surveyed the rusty red barrels that yet had strange markings and bright yellow words in Russian on them. It doesn't say, just says is highly hazardous. Wilson then refolded the paper and handed it back to the man. What the hell is that? Corporal Stevens pointed a knife hand at the tree line across from us. We all looked, and when the red-faced Russian man saw, he went white as a ghost, and simply in English said, Witches. I stepped around my past self to get a better view, even though I already knew what they were staring at. Five figures that now stepped fully out of the tree line. The man in the middle wore a dark hooded cloak that obscured his face. It would shine and shimmer in the light, like it was made out of a very nice silk. The man to his left wore a similar silk robe but had his hood down and he was wearing a rotted buck skull on his head. His beard was black with stains of gray that were matted together and his eyes looked to be dull as he chanted something and swung a dark metal censer that spewed a strange red smoke. It wasn't Russian that he chanted but possibly Latin. The other three men wore dirty work clothes that had stains and rips in them. Each one of them carried a single shot rifle at the low ready. I was taking this all in when out of the corner of my eye I saw Balaam move. I quickly turned my head and faced the man who was now staring at the barrels in amazement. Or is it hunger? It was an odd, his fascination with the barrels, when all the other stuff was going on. My voice, although not from me, broke my thoughts and drug my mind back to where we were going in this memory. Who goes there? State your business, my past self yelled. PFC Wilson quickly translated my words and belted them out as well. The man in front with the silk hood lifted two very burnt hands, 
up to his hood and threw it back, revealing a similar burnt face. He looked like an overcooked raisin. The skin had healed, yet it was red and scarred. There was no hair of any kind on this man's face or head, just two red eyes with a smile. He spoke out loud in a very strong Russian accent. Good afternoon, gentlemen. There is no need for hostility between us. We simply want what is in the wagon. Give us it and we will leave. No one has to die. Take cover behind the wagon, my past self whispered. No one shoots until I say. Instantly and smoothly, the men moved behind the wagon and raised rifles. The Russian men began saying something in his native tongue and pointing to certain locations. But Wilson quickly yelled back out to him to stand down. My past self looked back at where Rodriguez and the others were, who were now laying in a ditch for cover when, with rifles ready. They made eye contact as if my past self and Rodriguez were transferring thoughts just merely at looking at one another. I missed that, and I wish the real Rodriguez was here with me now. Of course, he would not have let Balaam get a word out before his knife was in his throat. I take it your actions are uninterested in giving us barrels. The burnt man shouted out. Does anyone else see any more of them? My past self whispered. I only see what's in front of us, Corporal Stevens whispered back. Okay, take aim and fire on my command. I cocked my rifle and raised it. Maybe I can convince you. The burnt man chuckled and pulled out a silver lighter from his pocket, struck the flint in his hand and screamed as it burst into flame. Even now, knowing that what was about to happen, the man's scream still gave me goosebumps. The burnt man lifted his hand and flames jetted out towards the wagon. Out of instinct, I and my past self, along with the rest of the men, all jumped out of the path of the flames that now engulfed the wagon. Balaam now laughed as he walked out of the flames and stared at me. I was trying to orient my body in the ditch. Like I said, it's a memory, dumbass. I scrambled to my feet and wiped cold sweat that had formed on my brow. I could easily feel my cheeks redden, which caused Balaam to laugh a little harder and me to question if I really needed this man to escape this place. The volley of gunfire caused my questioning to stop and I then saw the battle unfold in front of me like I was staring into a moving image. We were all now in the ditch and Corporal Stevens was cursing and beating a flame out on his jacket as the rest of us traded shots with the four strange men in the tree line. The men who wore rags and carried rifles took cover behind the trees as each of them would pop off a shot in a slower rate than the men in the ditch. I remember how much of an advantage it was having those spindle rifles and how over the next two years they became a common sight. But back then, it was still a fairly new technology that only we held. Thank goodness too, or we would not have won the war when we did, or possibly at all. The fact that we could place six shots in the time it took to take one shot was a technological marvel and forever labeled the spindle rifle as the weapon that won the war. Balaam for the most part was unimpressed with the battle that was laid out before him and went back to examining the barrels with hungering eyes. I could not for the life of me understand what his fascination was with them and the jet black liquor that now leaked upon the ground. The excess heat must have expanded the liquid and caused the few barrels on top to pop open. The liquid didn't burn, which surprised me as it looked like oil. Instead, it just foamed and bubbled like black tar as it ran down the sides of the metal can. 
Balaam was re-engulfed by more flames as the burnt man screamed, a scream of pain, and used both hands now to jet forth flame upon us and the wagon. The flame bellowed much as if it were coming from the mouth of a dragon of old, yet those have been long dead, but this man was not. Nor was Balaam, who was not phased by the battle, just staring at the bubbling liquid and still in his trance, his right hand buried in his pocket, fumbling around with whatever its contents was. Movement of my past self and a few individuals caught my eye, so I shifted focus to them. Like so many times before, we enacted our training and performed like a well-oiled machine. Rodriguez and a few others laying down cover fire, pinning the two opposing riflemen behind the trees, and one striking the shoulder of the burnt man, which caused the fire to momentarily cease. He was still screaming in pain, loud, but now for a different reason. This gave my past self and a few others time to move around to a spot that gave us a perfect advantage in splitting and shooting the riflemen, ending any chance of being shot. Another shot from no doubt Rodriguez himself struck the head of the burnt man and permanently stopped his screaming as his head snapped back and a mist of pink filled the air around it. Just like clockwork, my past self and his team began to clear the area. One man kicks the weapons away from the first rifleman, and the rest then train their weapons on the now silent man holding the belling red smoke brazier who just stares at us wide-eyed. Drop it. Place your hands on your head and drop to your knees, my past self yells, which is immediately followed by PFC Wilson repeating it in Russian. For a moment, all is quiet except the crackling of the wood cart still on fire and the sound of the wind blowing in the trees. We're all just staring at each other. The crazed man wearing a rotted buck head as his hat and us at him, waiting to see who would move. The man finally drops the brazier on the ground with a heavy clunk, then slowly lifts his hands up. But as he does, just like I remembered, he kicks the brazier at us. It caused my past self and a few others to move out of the way as we coughed and choked on the fumes of the red smoke. In a fluid motion, the man grabs a handful of red capped mushrooms and shoves them into his mouth and begins chewing. He's eating something. Rodriguez yells out and rushes to the now-chewing man. But it's too late. The man has finished, as Rodriguez is only a few paces from him, and opens his mouth to all to see as he laughs. A dark red, yellow, and brown teeth are all that are left in there. Then he begins to really laugh. Big belly laughs as his eyes fills with tears from it. Rodriguez's face goes from angry to confused as he eyes the man who now continues to laugh, but the laugh now has a choking sound and his mouth begins to foam. The man's eyes are still locked in pure joy as he stares deep into Rodriguez's brown eyes. The two continue this until the man stumbles back, falls, and stops laughing, his body on the ground and his smile locked in a frozen joy of death. What the hell? Rodriguez manages to mumble as we all stare at the dead man. Hey guys, as you've heard, I've got a Twitch channel, red underscore bladed underscore pirate. I would love for you guys to come and join me February 20th for a live reading of the episode. 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Um, if you can't catch it there, uh, that's I totally understand. However, if you can, we can chat. Um, there'll be a live reading where I'll take time to sit, answer questions, chat with you in between sections of the story. If you wouldn't mind, go on over there and give me a follow. Also, thank you guys so much for all the wonderful reviews. And all I ask is that you keep it up if you're new to the show. Leave a five-star review. It would greatly help me. Thank you.
Finnegan just sat on the ground, face white as a ghost, and eyes in a dead blank stare, as yet again the memory played over and over again. The sick thump of the trench axe hitting Miller's head, and then the body of the dead man crumbling to the ground had happened so many times he had lost count. The anger and the rage he had felt from watching Rodriguez and Unium had slowly dumped down to a numb thump every time he looked at him. His stomach had stopped churning, which was good because he had already thrown up everything left in his stomach from breakfast. He had tried just closing his eyes, but it would just pause and wait until he opened his eyes again before the horror would resume. He tried running away, but the darkness would come and then he would start all over again from where he had appeared in the memory. So for now, all he could do was go numb and sit, watch it play over and over again, till he died of starvation or old age. That is, if he was even alive, he thought. Maybe I'm in hell. His mind continued to wander and explore this. I should have paid attention in Sunday school, he thought. I should have read the Bible thing. I guess this is my eternity now, my punishment for not listening to my mother or the pastor. Of course, that pastor preached enough on hell that Finnegan should know if he really was there or not. Yet, he never really listened. His mom forced him to go to church, and in doing so, Finnegan's response was to tune it out his best and only to rebel besides that pastor sermons were always a burning hell this you're a heathen if you do that and so on the man also liked to sweat the whole time like someone had dumped a bucket of water on his head finnegan and his friends after church would always joke about the man sweating like the man had just literally ran from hell itself and was here to preach a sermon on it although there was a lot less fire here but finnegan would have gladly traded to be in flames than to be here oh you don't want to do that. Agent Miller's nasty smile appeared on his face. The one that Finnegan hated so much. The one that the man sometimes wore in his nightmares. Then, I'll find someone who will. I'm sure Lilith is around. You three were always sticking together. Maybe I will make her strip. Finnegan hated this part. In fact, it was a very speech right here that had placed the thought of burying the trench axe in the skull of Miller. Had he had the opportunity right then and there, he probably would have. He was unsure how Lil felt about him, but he was very sure about how he felt about her. And he would never let another person this way talk like that ever again about her. Yet, he just stood there, like the scared, sad little boy that he was, and let this man say what he willed. This thought brought a newfound pain of guilt in his stomach. Her squeal real good. I'm going to shove. Miller continued until the past Jacob, right on cue, flung his body at the man. Finnegan? A soft, beautiful voice said sweetly behind him, or at least he thought. He must have reached a new level of madness. He was thinking of Lilith, and now he was hearing her voice. He was hearing her voice say his name. This place, or whatever, it was quite cruel. Had he not gone numb from what was happening, so now this place was throwing at something new, some new way of torturing him to get him to feel pain? Finnegan, is that you? The voice of Lilith said again, but sounded closer this time, like it was right behind him. Finnegan turned and looked. Why not, he thought. See what else this place was going to throw at him. Yet, when he saw her, his breath almost left his body completely. Lilith? He squeaked out, his eyes began to fill with tears, and his hands shook as he pushed himself up off the ground to stand and stare at the woman. Please, tell me you're not real. Please tell me you're not in this place with me. Finnegan, it's... She paused, looked around, and then looked back at Finnegan. 
it's going to be okay. Finnegan would have felt embarrassed for breaking down in front of the woman, but he was so besides himself as his chest filled with panic. She was here too, he thought, and then there's nothing he can do to save them. Or she wasn't real, and again, this was just the new way of causing pain. It's going to be okay, Finnegan, she said again. It's not going to be okay. We're stuck in hell, Finnegan said, his voice dry and bare as he spoke. Balaam stared hard at the barrel of black goo. It sizzled and bubbled when the fire hit it. But the very sight of it, even engulfed in flame now, still drew him in hard. Strange how the very liquid that was stored in the vial in his pocket was also in a memory halfway across the world. At least he was sure that this barrel hailed the same substance. He had quickly scanned the barrel in hopes of finding more clues to understand the oily substance, but the only thing he could find on the barrel that he understood was the word Volgard, Russia. The rest was written in Russian. The rest of the scene he didn't really care for. From the strange chanting sage to the men throwing fire as he screamed, nothing about this memory really intrigued him anymore. It had started out as fun and thrilling to get revenge, but when he saw what leaked out of the barrel, his mind quickly became hyper-focused. He so badly wanted to pop the cork of the vial and drink, but he knew he couldn't. She, or whatever that creature was that inhabited his mind, had told him not to drink until they got the book. Plus, Yulian might take due on his threats and kill him while he was diving. His original plan was to get Yulian to drink the vial and slit his throat with the man's own knife, as Yulian had so often shown him. Yet, now he wanted the vial to himself. His mouth salivated at the thought of the liquor, at the thought of the taste. Maybe he could get Yulium to drink only half. And then after Yulium started tripping out, he could fulfill his plan, kill the man, and drink the other half. Would half be enough to incapacitate the man, Bellin thought? Would it be enough for himself to give a proper dive? Which, at the time, felt more important. The fighting had stopped, and now that dumb Boston accent was assaulting Balaam's ears, and Balaam pried his eyes away from the beloved barrel and looked over at Yulium, the real one. The man seemed on the edge, and his face showed that he was about to just go through the worst thing of his life, whatever was this memory that traumatized him. It was his chance, Balaam thought, and hopefully half of a vial was enough for both. Liv took a deep breath and looked at the scene unfolding in front of her. Miller had known her brother, and she had met Miller before through some sort of family work event. Even then, she was not fond of the man, but this caught her off guard. The way the man smiled, the way the man talked, was much different than he had when she met him years ago. He also had a full head of hair back then, as well as seemed normal, or at very worst, a bit off. But now... He was worse than a monster they were hunting in this current memory. Lilith jumped when she heard the thump of the trench axe strike the bald head. She covered her mouth when the body crumpled to the ground to reveal a very scared-looking Finnegan clutching an axe dripping with crimson. The whole thing turned her stomach, not because of Miller. She knew he had to be dealt with and that he would have killed them all had Finnegan not struck him down. 
No, her stomach turned and her heart sank for Finnegan. The boy-faced man had now entered a new world in his mind. One where death not only existed, but that he could be capable of causing it in a moment's notice. She could tell this new revelation to the man caused him grief. Finnegan, when she had first met him, had seemed very innocent and useful, even with everything going on. However, now looking at the man and thinking back, he seemed to age in that very instant. No wonder he had acted strange lately, she thought. They had spent time together before and after this day, and now things in her mind came into focus. Finnegan had not acted odd, but just off. Maybe tired, but in a different sense of how he carried himself. Like a man with a great weight upon his chest, even last night when they had spent time looking after Jacob, when Finnegan was not acting nervous about being around her, he seemed heavy. They watched as the men flung the body into the brush. William and Rodriguez had done so in a manner that seemed natural to them. Her brother gave a response that she would have guessed he would. He was no soldier, just a scientist who was now fleeing with his family from the coming hell that was spreading across the land. There was Finnegan, who wanted so badly to be like Rodriguez and Yulian, but was now paying the cost of it. She looked down at Finnegan. The man's face was stoic, and a single tear ran down his cheek. How long had they been here? She thought. How many times had he relived this very scene inside and outside of this room? The poor man looked to be on the verge of cracking, yet somehow holding it together. She sat facing his side, the one with the tear lifted a gentle hand and tried to wipe the tear away from his face, but the man jumped and looked at her with wide eyes. You are real, Finnegan said, expression as if he had seen a ghost. She gave him a soft smile. I'm real. I'm more real than this memory you're stuck reliving. I'm more real than the pain you've been hiding. And I'm more real than the loneliness you've been carrying. A new tear ran down the man's face and Lilith lifted her hand and successfully brushed it away this time. Finnegan shut his eyes tight in an effort to keep the tears in. I wish you were not real. Now you're stuck in here. And I don't know if we are going to get out. I don't know how to get out. And I, I can't stand to see you be tormented here with me too. We'll find a way together, Lilith said. She reached for the man's hand. She grasped it. It was cold and clammy. It was shaking, but stopped with the touch of her warmth. Normally, Lilith's mind would have been racing at this. Not now. The only thing that really mattered was helping him. She was still unsure of her feelings for the man, but yet again, this pushed her in the direction of like-like, and that was seeming to add up. How? Finnegan opened his eyes, and more tears leaked out. I don't even know what this place is, let alone how to get out. It seems to be connected to you somehow, like it's feeding off of your memory and the misery it brings you. Why does this memory bring you such misery? Lilith asked. Because I killed someone? Finnegan said, as if matter of fact. You killed to protect us. Not only were you protecting your friends, but you were protecting me, Lilith said, her mind now realizing this too as she spoke. Another point for the like-like. But I did it without thought or hesitation. What happens if it happens again? But not to someone like Miller. What happens if I just snap and I hurt someone? What if I'm really like a monster, just like them, and I hurt you without even thinking of it? Finnegan's voice went from a whisper to a loud panic as he spoke. 
You reacted and you did what you had to be done because you are a warrior deep down inside. That part of you that reacted, it reacted because it needed to. Lilith looked over at the scene. The memory was beginning again. She quickly turned back to Finnegan in hopes of catching him before he turned to look at it. But he was staring at the ground in between them. She lifted her hand to his stubbled chin and gently pushed his face up to where their eyes met. In this fear that you might do it to someone you care about, you have to let that go because it's making you miserable. And it's not really you. You're not a monster. How? Finnegan's eyes dropped back down at the dirt. I don't know, Lola said. But what works for me is giving it to God. This has been A Better Utopia, Chapter 20, The Black Icker, written and produced by Counter Culture Rebellion, read by the author. Tune in February 20th for the next installment in the series. And please, if you'd be so kind, leave a five-star review. Thanks.